Thanks for coming along, everybody. Um, welcome to Evercore, but more relevantly, welcome to the first of um, these networking events organised by the St Edmund Hall uh, London Alarians, of which I have the uh, honour of being uh, president and have been for a number of years, taking over from Ian Coleman a number of years ago. Um, this is uh, a very interesting experiment, I would say, hopefully an experiment that works well, seemingly by the attendance uh, and the enthusiasm with 40 people on the waiting list for today. Um, we seem to have got a, a formula that people are interested in, and certainly we hope to have a speaker that people are interested in. Um, we're going to name these. Laura uh, Palmer, who's been very helpful in organising this uh, uh, has sort of branded this, and I think we all agree, the Teddy Talks, which I think uh, uh, could be quite an interesting formula for us. I think for people who haven't engaged very much with the Alarians um, recently or at all, um, it, very simply, this is a, a, a sort of a networking opportunity for everybody, but ultimately the Alarians is really designed to do two things. It's really designed to ensure that Alumni and uh, college members are able to reconnect with each other and um, enjoy meeting with old friends and swapping notes and indeed sort of to network across the entire spectrum of our Larians out here in London um, from all age groups. I think that's both from a social and a business perspective incredibly useful. It's also an incredibly important forum, as we have discovered over the last many years, uh, for reconnecting people back to the college. Um, I think um, both in terms of old friends, yes, but actually to understand with the current um, uh, senior common room folk, the principal and everybody else, um, to understand what the college is doing, to see, understand and know those people, and indeed to help the college. And I don't just mean financially. I'm not going to now ask for checkbooks to come out. I, you'll be relieved to know. But you know, financial support is important. We all know we're not the richest of colleges. Um, but actually, indeed, we've, through careers days and various other uh, events, we've actually found an awful lot of very generous people who are Alarians who've given their time, uh, counsel and support to students and indeed the college overall, and we're very keen to encourage that. You're going to hear some more from both Keith, uh, the principal, and Laura, uh, who's the Director of Development today. I'm also grateful to all of the Teddy Hall team, including Simon Costa, who's uh, Senior in Finance Manager here today. Um, I'm also here just really just to introduce Lionel Barber, uh, who you've really come to hear, not me. Um, Lionel was, uh, went up to the hall in 74. Uh, he tells me he studied German and modern history. Um, I also know that he was a pretty mean fly half, or at least so he tells me. Um, but he uh, certainly enjoyed his sport while he was at uh, Teddy Hall. Went to the Scotsman in um, 1978 and has a very illustrious uh, career in journalism since with time as um, the Sunday Times, the Washington Post. He was Britain's Young Journalist of the Year soon after embarking on his career, but joined the FT where he has stayed uh, in 1985. Uh, Twelve years uh, in uh, foreign assignments in uh, uh, Washington and Brussels included, and then back in the executive capacity since 1998, including another four years, um, I believe, in the States. Uh, Lionel's most recent uh, I guess uh, Rise uh, has been since 2005 to be uh, the editor uh, of the, the Financial Times, which is obviously an extremely interesting position and particularly interesting, I think, made so by the, uh, the period in which he's presided over that role, uh, over the economic crisis which continues. 
Lionel's brief uh, this morning uh, is to discuss what to expect from the world economy, which is no mean task. I think we've been trying to put it out for some time. Um, we're going to give the floor to you, Lionel, now um, to talk about that. I'm going to ask people to um, have a little bit of time, maybe a couple of questions at the end before Keith speaks, and we'll try and keep on uh, schedule to event, close this event just after nine. So, no, Lionel, thank you. Um, thank you very much, David. It's a real pleasure to see some old faces and some new ones. Um, I've got an impossible brief to talk about the world economy in 20 minutes. Um, so why not start with Churchill? Um, I was reminded uh, when I was thinking about this last night that Churchill's great quote, um, we're not re regarding World War II, and it has felt as though we've been in wartime uh, over these last six years, that are we at the, the end of the beginning or the beginning of the end? And I would say that we're definitely at the beginning of the end of the great monetary experiment which has rescued the world economy. But obviously the, the exception is Japan, but in terms of the way the Federal Reserve has massively expanded its balance sheet to reflect asset prices to rescue the banking system, the way the European Central Bank has stood by, finally, finally, uh, the Euro, to save the Euro, and our little modest um, monetary experiment in Britain, in this country. Um, but clearly, um, Federal Reserve Chairman Bernanke stated last week the signaling that this is coming to an end, tapering, if you like. And I got a vivid, um, a vivid, uh, view of this yesterday afternoon when a very tanned gentleman with silver hair immaculately in place with red cufflinks with dollar signs on them walked in and his name was Richard Fisher, the Dallas chairman of Dallas Federal Reserve. So he's one of the governors who's been in the discussions at the Fed talking about the exit. And he's one of those tactile Texans who can't resist grabbing you, poking you, and wants to make a point, so I've got bruises down my left hand. And halfway through, I, I, I asked him a question, and suddenly he produced this wonderful quote about if those feral hogs, some of the feral hogs in the markets are gonna take us off, basically we're gonna face them down. And, uh, Fisher is, is, is what's known in the business as a hawk. He's, a, he's worried about inflation, he's worried about asset prices. Uh, he told a story in Dallas of the, the lady who's, who's basically benefited in terms of real estate from this monetary experiment. Uh, one woman, one office, one billionaire. One billion, sorry. Uh, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of offset or response to this monetary activism that we see. So, so I would say, first of all, that's the big, that's the big uncertainty. That's you know, how this plays out. It's important, the caveats. The Fed has not said it's when it's going to end uh, QE, uh, quantitative easing. It's not the time, it's linked to employment, etc. But we are seeing the beginning of the end. Second big thought on the economy is I mean, I like to sort of think about three divisions, three-speed world economy, three divisions. League division one would be China and the emerging markets. Um, 
Okay, growth comes off a bit. You know, instead of, you can't believe Chinese statistics anyway, but uh, say, say China's still committed to 7%, that's what they need to keep employment, uh, you know, manage the, the movement from countryside to urban centers. Uh, they, they're going to knock around instead of 9, 10, 7%. You're going to have still emerging markets growing rapidly, much more rapidly than, say, legally between America, but I'll talk a bit about America in a minute more specifically, but I'm, I'm bullish on America. I think America's definitely recovering, um, but not at the kind of 5, 6, 7% growth rates. And League Division 3 is definitely the Eurozone, very sickly, flat. No recovery this year, probably something next year, but 1%, between 1% and 2% if we're lucky. And then Britain, uh, probably somewhere between League Division 3 and League Division 2. So let me have a say now, talk a bit about China, then the United States, and then Europe, all in 12 minutes. Um, China. I was recently in China, and I got, I think, a sense of what the leadership's thinking about the scope and sequencing of reforms. I think there's going to be a big announcement in October about labor market reform. Um, I think they are absolutely committed to uh, to the internet, to the uh, liberalisation of interest rates and opening uh, opening up renminbi for trading. That's going to be uh, moving perhaps a bit faster than some people think. I think the state-owned enterprises are a real problem. Um, still playing an overly dominant role in the economy. Massive vested interests, and they'll be nervous about that. They're still serious, and very serious about trying to grow a greener economy, but basically growth still trumps the green economy. And I think they're going to manage it. I think they've thought it through. They've got a serious plan. But then let me just tell you a little indiscreet story. So the podcast thing better stop now. No, I'm just joking. Um, which sort of sums up the enigma of China, modern China. Um, one of the things that... Uh, the privileges of my job is that I get to meet some quite interesting people and we get to, to write about the big stories. And last year's big story was Bosila, the, the absolutely astonishing story of this top party boss um, who was running you know, supposedly an anti corruption campaign and then, but also was involved in corruption, massive abuse of power, the cult of personality, and in Chongqing. Anyway, um, we wrote about this, and uh, senior Chinese officials one day at some point decided better talk to the FT, talk to the editor. And so we are invited to the Chinese embassy, and um, this senior official, it's all very formal, and uh, I get what I call a, a bone china bollocking, so it's, it's very formal, but it's, you're definitely being bollocked. <coughs> Big picture, China, big picture. So I thought, after a while, you know, thinking of my time at Teddy Hall, you know something? I think it's time to push back. So I said, uh, thank you very much. Tell me, what was Bosilai really like? And to my amazement, this gentleman said, well, actually, I, I, I'll try and do the accent at one point. He said, I, I knew Bosilai. And that was very interesting. So what? He said, well, when I was stationed in America, 
got this request from the mayor of Dalian, who was Bosilai, and he said he wanted to meet very important people. So I Two days later, he gets this reply saying, you know what? sums up so much about China and about the fascination of you know, America, Hollywood, and you know, it's what, what, what they're doing and what they're what thinking is quite different. Anyway, um, so I'm, I feel um, pretty good about the Chinese economy, but what's happening just recently is very, very interesting in terms of the squeeze on credit and what the central bank's doing. I think that's, that's an attempt to kind of get their arms around the shadow banking system, very, very important. So in a way, what you're seeing being said, talked, uh, statements out of the Fed, it's actually as important to watch what the PBOC, the People's Bank of China, is doing uh, in Beijing, obviously under orders, because they're not an independent central bank. Um, America, why am I bullish? Because last November, um, I went to, uh, I just got in after Hurricane or Superstorm standing Sandy for the election and got into New York and saw some was the best really top people on Wall Street. And I said, right, give me a give me a sense of you know, what what are we going to see from America in the next three years, four years? And the line was uniform, it's kind of not much is going to happen in Washington, but a huge amount outside. And the story is, Mr. Barber, you know, we fixed the banks, we fixed our real estate market, we fixed our energy problem. And what are you guys doing in Europe? And that's a reflection of shale gas. It's a reflection, I think, of, of a much more aggressive, decisive response to the banking crisis in America. Impressive. The Europeans, I remember dissing it as a, some kind of marketing campaign. The stress tests are absolute rubbish. The Americans tackled this in a much more decisive way. Benefit. The American economy is still sickly-ish. But there's some serious rebound on real estate, serious manufacturing revival, reshoring, and everything. And the American economy is just more dynamic. So all those Europeans, uh, including something with EFT, no more on that forecast, um, you know, they, they underestimate America's ability to rebound. That's important. Now, Europe. Um, I watched Europe in the 1990s on the, in the, the kind of construction of the euro. 1993, when I was shortly after I arrived, 92, we had currency crises, and everybody was saying there'll be no euro, it's, it's a disaster, nothing will happen. Of course, they came back, but they built something which was architecturally flawed, and we see, you know, I don't need to go all the reasons, nobody paid any attention to current accounts, nobody paid any attention to what current account deficits, nobody paid attention to competitiveness. It's all kind of Bundesbank anti-inflation, if the inflation rate's low, everything's okay. Um, similar, by the way, 
here in the way that monetary policy and economic policy management was pursued. But we are in a position in Europe where they have decided to make this work on German terms. And I've had the uh, privilege of talking to Chancellor Merkel on this several times, sometimes a very small group, sometimes with the FT in interviews. I still remember the first time I, I met the Chancellor, and as you know, I studied German at uh, Tilly Hall, uh, in between uh, the rugby rock. And so I was thinking Holmes is here, sorry. And I remember her saying, oh, Mr. Barber, you're the one who understands German very well, but doesn't speak it so well. Anyway, she decided last summer, or summer, not last summer, the summer before, that essentially she didn't want this to break up. She's gone through East Germany, she's, as she says, I've seen one country implode. And she also told her this may be apocryphal, may not be, but it's a good story, that when her advisors, some of them were saying, just let Greece go, she said, you are the same people who told me in 2008 that if we let Lehman Brothers go, there wouldn't be a problem. Well, I think there would be a problem. So they've stood by Greece, and, and they don't want to break up. But obviously, the, the, the problem is the German response in economic policy terms is, is dramatic, dramatic austerity, no growth, forcing countries, in her words, to, um, you know, if the Baltic states can adapt, then why can't the Greeks or the Spanish or the Italians? Well, one reason is they're Southern European, but another is that this is really, really, they're paying a very high price, although there is some sense of rebound. I think um, I'm a bit more optimistic about Spain. I saw Rajoy for two and a half hours in Madrid in January. And I came away thinking, this guy's serious. He's, he's very determined. He's not Bambi. I can't believe I said that. She's that terror. Who I remember just announced <coughs> an interview in Madrid. And literally, I was told there was going to be the great reform announcement. And he said, absolutely nothing. I was so fed up that I thought, I'm going to, I'm just going to say something that's going to get your attention. So I said, Mr. Dapatero, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much for a really interesting interview. Um, so I said, I just got one more question. I said, do you think historians will go down and look at your premiership and say that was the moment that Spain just slipped into Division Two of Europe? <laughs> he goes, okay. <laughs> Perhaps he said, no, 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 no. And then afterwards, he, he grabbed me and he said, uh, can we go for a walk in the woods? Suddenly he's speaking English. He refused to before. It's all translated. So we go out of the Moncloa into the woods and he kind of grabs me, not like a Texan, and he says, I can't believe you asked that question. Uh, and his first point was, how is my friend Tony Blair? How would I know? <laughs> and he says, so he says, uh, well, look, I mean, it's very serious in Spain. Do you realize what would happen if we pursued real reforms deeply? I mean, we'd have people out in the streets, so I have to be very careful. So I said to him, I understand your position, Mr. Premier. 
But uh, if you don't reform the waters up to here, you're going to have to do something. And you did, of course, but it was too late, as, as everything in Europe. So anyway, to sum up, um, I think Euro survives. I think it's on German terms. I think the steady incremental progress on the things that are necessary to make it survive, notably the banking union. The Germans not have you know, euro-wide deposit insurance. But they, you can see the last week's decision on recapitalizing this the intervention instrument, the European ABSM, it, it's going to just hold together, I think. Uh, so I don't believe that Mervyn King is right when he says the euro survives, but the membership changes. I think they're going to keep it together. Probably should say just two last minutes on the British economy. Um, well, uh, we've supported, the FT supported the, uh, the government's austerity. Uh, program. I mean, austerity with a lowercase a because clearly they've stretched the spending cuts out. Um, actually, uh, I don't. I tend to think King Moby King was right when he said if we if we tried to do what the Americans have done successfully, which is fiscal expansion, sorry, loose looseish fiscal, very loose monetary. I think it's hard for us. We're a much more exposed economy. We're not to be and it would have been playing, taking a risk. Might have come off, but I think when you're running a deficit like we were, 13% GDP, big. So I think there really was a risk that if we'd, done, if we'd stayed loose, there wasn't quite as much difference between Labour and Conservative as made out. But it, you might have seen the raise in interest rates, and we could have gotten to a, lot, a, a, a big problem. If not a Greek or an Italian Spanish problem, still a problem. I think now, um, Big cost in output as a result of these policies. There's always going to be an adjustment after the financial crisis anyway. But there are some signs of improvement, some signs, particularly in the southeast, less so outside. If you talk to retailers, Tennis the Tesco was in last week, he's saying it's still pretty poor in terms of outside London. Um, we're going to see. So, so where, do I, where do I come out on this? Again, between League Division 2 and 3, I'm a bit more optimistic. It's a hell of a price to pay for that party that we had in the Blair Brown era. It's the Blair, Blair Brown boom. So, um, overall, cautious optimism.